Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, gentlemen. And welcome to the Encouragement Group, the group that we do each and every Friday. Because we know that weekends are tough. The grind, Monday to Friday, we get used to that routine, and somehow that routine changes a little bit on, on the weekend. And it's the time when many of you start to get a whole different disease, this disease of wellness. I'm well enough. I've done enough. But you've tried that before. Many of you have tried that before. Doing a little bit of work, but not doing all of the work. Doing a little bit of treatment, but not doing all the treatment. We know, gentlemen, and you hear guys that graduate from our community, their consistent message to the newcomers is to stick and stay because we know the benefits come to those who stick and stay. What is what is encouragement? What is courage? Courage is the ability to face or act when challenged with things that are difficult or scary. The ability to act in the face of something that is difficult or scary to encourage is to put that courage in you, to give you that courage to deal with this recovery process, which for many of you seems scary. For many of you, the chaos associated with the lifestyle of use is less scary than having to face life on life's terms. And when I thought about what I wanted to share with you guys today, I uh, recall the reference that I use quite often, uh, but I don't believe I've ever used in this group. And it's the movie Wanted and Recovery. How many of you guys have seen the movie Wanted? Yeah, not a lot of you. Yeah, a few of you. You know, Angelina Jolie and whatnot. And, and you know, and, yeah, yeah, I remember that part. Um, and when you think about that movie, you know, there's a lot of things that come to mind, you know, curve the bullet and this and that. But... The story is of a guy who essentially is told, you know, or feels as if he's a loser, right? He's got a terrible job. He's got a mean girlfriend. Everything that happens to this guy just seems to go wrong. He shows up to buy some stuff at the pharmacy. He's standing there with his friend, and his friend was supposed to pay for his stuff, and his friend forgets the wallet. Always him. Everything seemed to go wrong. Well, what we find out is that he is the son of, you know, one of the world's greatest assassins and he gets recruited to become an assassin. I know that doesn't sound very recovery related, but promise, I promise you the message is coming. Okay? He goes in for this training and every day as part of his training, he was brought into a room and beat up mercilessly. And every day they would beat him up and they would ask him the same question. Why are you here? And he'd, have, he'd say, I don't know. And they'd beat him up. They'd bring him back the next day. They'd say, why, are, why do you want to be here? I want to be an assassin. And they beat him up. And this goes on day after day after day. And finally one day... He goes to the room and they start to beat him up and they say, why do you want to be here? 
And his response was this, because I don't know who I am. And the beatings stopped. How does that relate to recovery? So many of you guys walk into treatment and recovery and you have all the answers. You come in with your issues, your problems, your image, your defenses, your smart answers, your resistance. You come in kicking and screaming and fighting and challenging. I've come to find in treatment and recovery the two most dangerous words are I know. The more, it seems to me, the more that you know, the less that you have to learn. I did an exercise with a gentleman yesterday in the Attitudes and Behaviors group and I had him stand up on a chair. And I said, this is how you want others to see you. High and mighty. You come across like someone who has all the answers and what you're finding is somehow having all the answers doesn't seem to work for you. And guess what? People aren't liking you because you come across like you got all the answers. And I took him down on the floor. And we laid next to each other on the floor. And I had him hold out his hands and I said, this is where we need you to be. Because when you are low and you don't have all the answers and you have everything to learn and you are open and willing and receptive, that is how you find your way to recovery. In the movie, he had all the answers and he got himself beat up. Day after day after day. How about you? When you were out there and you were using and people tried to tell you to stop doing it, people tried to show you another way, you told them to talk to the hand in one way, shape, or form. You sent them on your way because you knew better. What is bottom? Bottom is the first time of the first time in a long time where we say, what I was doing before doesn't work. I need to do something different. How is treatment and recovery successful? Treatment and recovery, when we, you know, I, I oftentimes am known to say that the most important word in all of the 12 steps is the first one, we. When you have all the answers and you know better, we sounds like weakness. We don't want help. We don't ask for help. We talk back to help. You're the guy that gets a pull-up for talking online and says, well, I can't repeat it. We understand that concept of we. When you come to understand that the journey of recovery requires a co-pilot, someone to help us lead us. Do you guys understand that when I talk about the word surrender, I don't mean giving up. It means being able to say, I don't have all the answers. I need help. I need a co-pilot in this journey. I need direction if I'm going to be successful. In the movie, as in your lifestyle of use, 
the more answers you had, it seemed like the more you kicked your own behinds in the long run. Today, gentlemen, to be able to say, I don't know who I am, puts us in a position to be open to the good things that may come our way. And gentlemen, there are many many miracles that have happened in the 106, 107 years we've been here. It's not from the people that were the smartest. It's not from the people that were the richest. It's not because of your religion or your color of skin that determines your success. It comes from being open, honest, and willing. It comes from being able to say, I can recognize and admit that I don't know who I am and I'm willing to become something different. Can I have a hallelujah? Hallelujah! Michael! You know, one of the things that upsets people the most in this uh, context, in this environment, what I found over the years is uh, when there's some kind of collateral consequence, some kind of collateral damage from something that somebody does, and the phrase that people like to use, and when they're objecting to this and saying how unfair it is, they like to use the phrase, Peter pays for Paul, that's not fair. And nobody likes when Peter has to pay for Paul and they think it's not fair. Well, let me suggest that it is fair. And the reason that it's fair is because when Paul does something wrong or something stupid, yeah, Peter pays for it. All the Peters, everybody in your circle pays for mistakes that we make. That's been true. That's true in everything. That's true in, in a work situation. That's true in, in, in this situation. That's true everywhere. D- don't resist that. That's a reality. It's a fact of life. But the reason it's fair is because Peter also benefits from Paul if Paul is doing good things. Many times I get a benefit or a break because somebody in my circle did something good and I happen to be in their circle and whatever they did good is having a, a residual uh, benefit spilling over onto me. So it is absolutely fair, and the reason it's fair is because it works both ways. Peter pays for Paul, but Peter also benefits from Paul. So be the type of Paul who is creating residual benefits for the people in your circle, not the kind of Paul who's creating residual damage for anybody that's in your circle. There is a ripple effect To every word, every deed, everything you do, everything you say, there's a ripple effect. Everything has consequences that that flow out from it. It's like a pebble in a pond. If you throw a dirty, ugly pebble into the pond, you're going to get dirty, ugly ripples. If you throw a diamond into the pond, you're going to get sparkling, beautiful ripples. There are seeds falling out of your pocket. You didn't know that. There's seeds in your pocket, and there's a hole in your pocket. As you walk, the seeds fall out of your pocket. And then one day you look around and you say, when did all these thorns and, and uh, poison ivy and pricker bushes and thistles and all when did all this get here? You planted it. The seeds were falling out of your pocket because those are the seeds that you were dropping. And that's what grows up all around you. Conversely, 
if we're planting good seeds as we walk through life, we're putting down good seed, all of a sudden we look around and say, when did this beautiful garden get here? You planted it. huh? As you're walking through life, you're dropping seeds. Huh? Check the kind of seeds that are in your pocket because I promise you, your pocket has a hole in it. So make sure you put the kind of seeds in there that are going to reflect what you want to grow up around you because that's how it works. That's a reality. There's no avoiding that. So... Peter pays for Paul. Peter also benefits from Paul. What kind of Paul are you? And what kind of seeds do you have in your pocket? Have a good day, guys. Thank you, Michael. You know, if any of you guys have spent some time talking to the friars and anybody learned about the term Brothers Christopher, you know, many of you guys think, you know... uh, you know, if you're of a, a religious persuasion, you think you came to St. Christopher's Inn to get spirituality, to get God in your life, to get connected with a higher power, to get Christ. But do you know what the friars say? Do you know how the friars came up with this term and what the fr- term Brothers Christopher means to them? Brothers Christopher means Christ bearer. And the friars believe that you bring Christ to them. How about that? So when Michael's talking about the seeds, and so many of you guys come in here and you say, you know, St. Christopher's Inn is the best program I've ever been in. (laughs) Did you ever stop to think that it might not just be the friars and the staff that make this place what it is, but it's you? And so when Michael's talking about the seeds that you grow that fall out of your pocket, if this place is a good place to you, you need to understand and benefit from the idea that you are part of what makes this place good. And when this place is struggling, (laughs) guess what? (laughs) You know, the first place is not to look at the staff and the friars and say, how come they do such a horrible job that this place is so bad? You know, we can look at each other. You guys have more power than you think you have. And gentlemen, when you start to realize that you don't know who you are, when you become open, willing, and honest, when you're willing to take risks and be vulnerable, instead of staying stuck in, I'm not comfortable, and I don't trust, and this and that, we find that this is a place where miracles happen. And gentlemen, we have the good fortune of seeing miracles happen here every day. At this time we ask, that if you've experienced a miracle, something in the past week that you didn't think was possible to happen, but it did, we ask that you take a moment to come up front and to share that miracle. It might not just feel good to know that you've experienced a miracle. There might be somebody in this room who's got one foot out the door who may, keep their, who may stick and stay because they can see the miracle is possible. So if you've experienced a miracle, I'd ask that you please come up at this time. It happened on Ash Wednesday, and I woke up another day. Then I said, let me go and get some ashes. I haven't done that in years. Got my ashes, proceeded to go to work a couple hours, and then I said, let me go and get confession 
the reason I did that is because I took communion without confession. And I felt really, really bad about that. I took confession and was given what I was given. Uh, and what I was given was to pray for all my brothers in this holy place. And I felt so like I, I accomplished something. I, I felt like now I can take communion and not be ashamed because I, I felt better. And then I spoke to my daughter that night just to hear her voice, and I felt even better. And I had a great, great Ash Wednesday. Thank you. Michael D, track three. Uh, you know, tomorrow is a very special day for me. Uh, no, not so much special, but uh, tomorrow is to the T one day, uh, one year since my incident happened where I was in a coma for six days. My overdose and massive stroke. And uh, I get to see my family tomorrow on that day as well. You know, and uh, to be spending it, I don't know why God allowed me to live. You know, I'll find, I'll figure that out when he allows me to. But, you know, to be able to spend it on, on one of God's creations, this SCI Mountain St. Christopher's Inn, is a real, it's a real uh, gift to myself, as well as spending it with all you brothers. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, my name is Joseph, track 11. Um, I was very confused about um, giving grief about my brothers and since I've been on this um path of sobriety I learned to let it go and be easy. Well I was at church this morning I was like maybe two two minutes behind but as they were praying, as the brothers here were praying, I felt something come over me that made me open up my eyes to life that I do have to let my grief go because that always keeps taking me out. And if it wasn't for him doing that, I think I, I would still be struggling with that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy O, track 12. Um, I'm just beginning to learn something that I think is sort of uh, uh, my miracle today, um, and that is about humility. So I'm getting ready to leave here next week. I think I've not so much changed as much as my perspective has changed, and trying to see the world um, in a way about what I can do instead of, you know, what my fears are and what I can't do. And uh, I realize that each day when I wake up and start my day, that when I ask for the power of God and his presence in my life, that the world looks like a different place. And I'm just starting to do that, and my days are a lot better. And for me, that's a miracle, because before I came here, it was a very dark world for me. Thank you. How's it going? Uh, William S. Track 1. Um, my miracle specifically is that uh, I have 60 days, two months sober today, which is, um, you know, amazing. I've the longest I've ever put together before. This was 38 days, and um, you know, don't have too many periods in my life where I was sober for more than a couple of days outside of that, really. And um, you know, it goes much deeper than that. Uh, you know, the reality is that uh, before the last couple of days, there was about a week to 10 day period where I was really just. Uh, in a pit of misery, not not feeling too good. And um, I, I went over this with my track, my counselor, 
I probably in my life have never felt that badly without drinking about it. And so, you know, it's such an amazing learning process and it's empowering to know that, you know, there's a better way out. You know what I mean? There's, there's a better way to deal with my issues and my problems, you know, than to drink about it and to come out the other end, you know, is really incredible. And there's a couple of people that I'd like to thank. Do we do that? Okay. But yeah, thank you. Good afternoon, Howard A, track two, past and present. Um, I was um, experienced a great miracle, guys. Um, I was like a few hours away from being put out in the middle of Grand Central Station from another program with all of my belongings and nowhere to go. Ryan Squire, Lauren McCullen, and David Gerber saw something in me, but I gave them something to work with. My tracker asked me, Howard, what you going to do after group? I'm going to get in line, keep my mouth shut, don't lean on the wall, go have my meal, and do my work. It's called structure. And that's what I did, guys. And they saw something in me, and I'm here today. And so that was a miracle. Now, because of that act of kindness, I have a job that I would have never called this place if I was put out in the street. I called them up. Now I have a job. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, John H. Track 12. I've actually experienced two miracles since I've been here in the mountain. Um, the first day I was here, like a lot of other people, I was just kind of the end of my rope, and I was uh, feeling very emotional. Um, I didn't like this place. When I first got here, the first thing I did was go to lunch, and there was a mean lady in the cafeteria yelling at everybody. I was like, oh, i got to get out of here. And I was a little overwhelmed, and one of the brothers came up to me and said, why don't you just go relax in the chapel for a little bit. And I went in there, and um, I just, you know, everything just came to a head, and I just started crying. And I was crying for a long time, and I couldn't turn it off. And then the, uh, the mean lady came in the chapel, and I thought she was going to throw me out. <clears throat> and she pulled up a chair, and she said, you all right? I said, yeah. She said, no, you're not and sat down and talked to me for about an hour. And um, she made me stay. And I really believe that that lady saved my life. That was a miracle. And um, uh, down the road a few weeks later, I was um, seeking spirituality like a lot of other people here. And I spoke to a very, very wise man by the name of Mike Bosha. And he gave me some guidance. And I came to the realization, you know, that, that, just, that just gave me some spirituality that... Uh, that I already had, I just didn't know it was there. And I came to the realization that um, it wasn't a coincidence that Janet walked into the chapel that day. It was definitely a sign from God. And um, I had never experienced that before. So those two miracles are very important to me, two things that I'll never forget. Thank you. Gentlemen, people need encouragement like plants need water. The ones who need it the most are the ones who get it the least. There have been people that have been placed in your path that have been sources of encouragement for you. At this time, we ask that if uh, there is someone in this room who's been a source of encouragement for you, someone who went over and above for you, that made a difference in your life or your treatment life, that you take a moment to recognize them now. Um, maybe they helped you get through a letter or a phone call or a bad group. Okay, um, you know, time is short, so come on up. We ask uh, two things. One... Uh, that you please try to recognize one or two people and not the whole community. It loses its power that way. And two, remember the difference between praise and encouragement. Praise has a tendency to stop at thank you. Encouragement goes the extra yard and lets that person know just how their efforts have been helpful to you.
Yeah. Hey, uh, William Estrack, one again. Um, there were many people that were helpful to me uh, a great deal over the last couple of weeks, but specifically, I just want to encourage and thank uh, Matthew and um, Robert. I don't know if he's uh, in here right now. Maybe not. Um, but uh, yeah, there he is. Um, yeah, I was really just ready to leave on uh, Monday, and my plan was just to live in my car and be homeless and drink, which is not a uh, logical plan, obviously. Um, and you guys really saw me, saw what I was going through, and uh, stopped me from leaving. And I broke down and cried like Nancy Kerrigan. And it was a uh, good experience. It was good, though. You know, it was really therapeutic. It was, uh, you know, so I, you guys really uh, helped me out a great deal. I'm thankful. You know, I'm indebted to you guys for uh, for helping me out a great deal. So thank you very much. Great. All right. Yeah. Uh, Edward H. Track 10. I'd like to encourage two people uh, that have really helped me on my journey here. First is Carl B. Uh, this gentleman here, you, Carl, you have, I, I don't know if you know it, but uh, you've been an example to me, a sober you know, role model. You know, you come to me and ask me things, you know, for advice, and then you take it. Uh, and then when you see me going a little bit off the reservation, you spit things right back at me, and we have a sober discourse. I saw uh, somebody give you advice about how you conduct yourself during an AA meeting, and you immediately took it, and I just see that you're just open, and you're an example to me. So I wanted to encourage you? you. It helps me by showing me, you know, it, it, it's an example to me. It shows me, you know, how I should, you know, do my walk here. Uh, so thank you, Carl. And I'd like to encourage Raymond B. Where is he in here? There we go. He's been a friend to me. You know, this is a Raymond, you're a person that I know I can go to and say things to, honest things, true things, things that are, you know, below the gut. And uh, you're not going to tell me what I want to hear. You're going to tell me what I need to hear. Uh, and you've been a true friend, and I really thank you for that. Thank you. I'm going to try to limit you to one because we're, we got four minutes. Okay. Mark D, track nine. I don't know I'd like to encourage Keith M. Uh, Keith, you've been a role model to me. I mean, um, you know, you've given me very constructive criticism around here. Um, you know, and uh, you work with me and you put up with me, and uh, and you're just a good friend. And uh, I, I thank you very much. How does that help you? Makes me feel like somebody. Uh, Thomas P. Track 11. Um, David, this is more than a couple, but I think under the circumstance you'll be okay. Uh, I want to encourage the choir. Um, for you guys, can stand up real quick. We just had to do a funeral for a woman who had been going here uh, to Mass for 30 years, and you guys had one day to prepare for it when I was told. It was bar none the most beautiful thing I've been involved with in the last uh, three months of being here as two months of director. Um, it was amazing, guys. If that was the only positive thing that happened to me, it was worth it in the three months here. So you guys, what you do matters. Women were coming up to me thanking. We just helped an entire group of people who are grieving um, go through that process. So I just appreciate you guys. You have no idea how much I appreciate you guys. So thank you very much. Uh, Matthew R. Track 7, Gilberto, stand up. You helped me the other night. I was going to take a different road, but you put a dead end to that road. And I thank you very kindly for that. What was the road? Wrong road. <laughs> I to encourage Joe from admissions. From when I first—I don't even say anything. He's probably an admission. Yeah, when I first got here, and every time I need somebody to talk to, he's always there, along with Gilberto. And um, that's all. 
How'd that help you? Oh, how'd it help me? It made me, it made me look at life different. It, that people are really there to help you, not there to take stuff from you. Okay, that's a big lesson. Yeah. Thank you. <coughs> you have seen yourselves as hopeless, as valueless, of no good or use to anybody. Alcoholics, addicts, thieves, criminal justice, incarcerated, drinking and driving, people giving you all these negative self-messages, and yet your brothers come up here and remind you that you are a good man worthy of love and respect and that you, your presence in other people's lives, like Michael was saying about the seed, has the potential to make a difference, a positive and healthy difference in the life of someone else. Is there any doubt that this community is what it is because that's how you make it? Those are the seeds that you sow. I'm going to turn this thing off now. Uh, we got one more thing to do real quick. Uh, until next time, we wish you peace, serenity, and sobriety. And uh, because of time,